News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. The New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers. The city. I'm Harry Siegel. And in just a minute, you'll be hearing a conversation between our own Katie Onan talking with Coalition for the Homeless Executive Director Dave Giffen and Legal Aid Staff Attorney Josh Goldfein about what's been happening in New York City's shelters and, two, its unique right to shelter. But first, here's a rundown of just some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams compared himself to Mahatma Gandhi at a flag-raising ceremony, his 44th in the last 20 months, saying, quote, I'm Gandhi-like, I think like Gandhi, I act like Gandhi. I want to be like Gandhi. Next week on U62. He's back. And this time, he's mad. Gandhi 2. No more Mr. Passive Resistance. A day later, the mayor observed that one of the benefits of outdoor dining, as a new law is supposed to make that a permanent fixture in the city, is to help folks date. He said, you may drive by, you may see eye candy sitting down somewhere. You might park and slip in the number. Come on, have fun, man. Outdoor dining's the way to go. Gandhi way. And he promoted his argumentative press secretary, Fabian Levy, to a new role as New York City's deputy mayor of communications. Uh, it's the mayor's seventh deputy mayor. That's all we have to say about that. A little farther down the chain, NYPD Chief of Department Jeffrey Madry issued a memo instructing officers to follow the existing patrol guideline procedure that makes clear car chases should be a last resort given their inherent dangerousness. That doesn't sound like much, but it came after the city reported on a massive increase in the number of chases over the last year. And as the department's number two, John Cho, had been talking tough about how important chases were to make clear to criminals who's in charge. Thursday morning, as we're recording this, the Daily News just reported that uh, new commissioner, Rukaban, wants to have a working group redetermine what constitutes a chase or a police pursuit, car pursuit, and what presumably would then render whatever new numbers come out of that incomparable to the uh, previous numbers, thus wiping the uh, slate clean in a convenient way. Lastly, three people around New York have died from infections spread through oysters and salt water. So between that, super ticks, sharks taking not a pound, but 20 pounds of flesh, stay inside, you And with that, here's Katie, Dave, and Josh. Let's jump right in. Josh and Dave, thanks so much for joining us on here. I'll just start first, you know, with the sort of news of the week about um, the letter the letters, I guess, sent in the court filing between Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams and their respective administrations. Dave, you had said before this letter came out that, quote, I do not believe that Governor Hochul has been taking this situation seriously in any way. And that, quote, we need all of our partners to step up and treat this crisis like the emergency that it is. So I guess just initially, who within governmental agencies and then other organizations, who has stepped up, who has not stepped up? And why? Well, you know, I think we've seen that New York City has been scrambling to try to to, to meet this moment. You know, there's uh, thousands of people coming into the city every week. Um, already uh, a homelessness crisis that's been going on for more than four decades. And um, 
you know, the compounding crises have put real strains on the city as it has uh, tried to comply with the right to shelter in New York City. Um, what we've needed to see, and we should have seen from day one, is Governor Hochul stepping up and, and acknowledging that this is a situation that should involve all of the resources of New York State. So, um, you know, the greatest disappointment here is that the governor has not done so, didn't do so from the beginning, has not done so yet, and has not yet signaled a willingness to really take ownership of this situation. And Josh, what's your take, I guess, in, in terms of um, where that lack of help has been from? Um, I know there's been lots of criticism from Mayor Adams, if we can get to that, but um, whether it's from the federal government or the state government, where do you think the need has not, the help has not come from? I mean, we, we regard this as a as a failure of all three levels of government. The federal government could solve this immediately by letting people work. Everybody, not only does everybody want to work, everybody is working, but they're working in situations that are off the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're at risk of exploitation there um, and also, you know, not earning enough uh, to support themselves. Um, and the federal government could solve that if if the federal government chooses to, you know, admit people to the United States and not allow them to support themselves, then they should pay the cost of that. Um, the state, as uh, Dave said, has been has not treated this as an urgent situation and has tried to avoid any responsibility um, beyond, you know, some um, some some efforts that we've all seen. Uh, but not certainly not equal to the scale of this. Um, you know, the city has done an, an incredible job of identifying space and putting people in it, um, but they haven't done uh, the work to move people out. We wouldn't need to be adding all the space if they would move people out. If they would move, you know, long-term New Yorkers out of out of shelter, and then they would have that space available to them, or if they would, uh, you know, help the uh, new arrivals to um get what they need to to you know get on their feet they all people have a very clear path for themselves you know whether they're trying to get a driver's license or you know take an osha test um or connect with a community where they've heard there's work so uh if if we would be in a very different place if each of those levels of government had done what it should do and now these letters and the subtext of these letters they came directly after these scenes of hundreds of asylum seekers sleeping outside what is known as the Welcome Center at the Roosevelt Hotel uh, in Midtown. Um, And now your organization had data that showed that there were, in fact, beds available. I know um, the mayor kept saying there's no more room in the end. That's why these people were sleeping outside. Um, Talk a little bit more about that. I know yesterday our new deputy mayor for communications, uh, Fabian Levy, and and the OEM commissioner, Zach Eskol, they, they wouldn't really directly answer whether that was true or not. They said they were more offended by the fact that it was asked. But it seems that you have the proof that there were beds. And um, I think Zach Eskel said, a bed is not a bed is not a bed. I don't know what that means necessarily. But I guess it means that different people need different things from different shelters. So talk about that. Talk about whether we are truly full in the inn, uh, no more room at the inn, and 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 what it was like for, for your organization to see that there was room, but instead people slept on the street for a week. Sure. No, that that was obviously very alarming, very frustrating, and uh, you know, I, I get, I get the bed is not a bed is not a bed, whatever. The, it, but but a bed is a bed is a bed, and and a bed inside, indoors, out of the elements, 
is better than people sleeping on the sidewalk. We never, ever want to see that happen. Um, DHS, the Department of Homeless Services, did have available beds. Now, on any given night, there are any number of available beds in the DHS system. There are beds that are offline because uh, the rooms that they're in are, are uh, being repaired or, or renovated. There are surge beds that are held for emergencies like winter storms, and there are vacancies. Now, we want DHS to have vacancies in their system because people who uh, require shelter have have certain needs that need to be met. There are people who have disabilities and other functional needs that require them to be uh, placed in rooms that have certain accommodations or, or in certain locations. And the city needs flexibility to find appropriate rooms for those people. <clears throat> we get it. We want that. And DHS is always trying to keep enough beds um, in its uh, stock uh, to be able to, to meet those needs and ensure they can accommodate the homeless New Yorkers that are entering into the system. At the same time, we have these parallel systems coming up run by H&H &H and, and HPD and, and NYSEM uh, with the Herps and the respite centers, et cetera. And the new arrivals are being, for the most part, you know, steered in that direction. And the city wants to have some kind of bifurcation here. None of that eliminates the fact that there is a right to shelter in New York and nobody should ever be left sleeping on the sidewalk. And if the city has the capacity to move people into a bed that's out of the elements and indoors, they have to do so. So um, we are urging the city every day that we're talking them to use every single resource at their disposal to ensure that nobody is left outside. It was just kind of nonsense that the response that the city gave to um, Chris Summerfeld of the Daily News on that story, because they're placing people in DHS every single day from the arrival center. So for them to say, well, we couldn't use those beds for this for this population. Um, I mean, that's even even on those days when people were sleeping on the sidewalk, other people who were inside the building were getting placed in DHS shelter. So that, that explanation was just not correct. And if you both want to just discuss a little bit about, you know, as reporters, we've seen inside, quote unquote, the Herks and the migrant specific shelters, usually before people are always before people are in them. Um, and, you know, Mayor Adams has said, which was part of, um, you know, that they need different services. So if you just want to describe for the listeners a little bit about what you've seen inside um, some of these shelters specifically for the asylum seekers, um, I think now there's 13 HERCs and dozens of more other facilities specifically for asylum seekers. So to give us a sense of what what's there. You know, we've been, there's a wide range of places. Uh, when the, um, initially they built that first tent uh, on Randall's Island and they didn't get a lot of uptake. Um, they shifted to using hotels for the most part for families with children. And so those sites really look just like DHS shelters at this point because DHS is using so many commercial hotels itself. Um, the city has now pivoted to using more kind of bare bones congregate sites as they have had a need to open places quickly and respond, you know, as people arrived. Um, it takes some time to open a proper shelter. And so given the, um, the rate of people arriving, they uh, had to add space quickly. And so they were not able to add sites that look like what we've seen in the past. But again, they would have had less need to do that if they would move people out um, and help them get on their way. 
um, if, in terms of what services are being offered, you know, that I think is the distinction that the, that the commissioner uh, was trying to make. Um, it's not so much what the shelters look like as what are we offering people. So in a New York City Department of Homeless Services shelter, what you're um, looking for is how to rehouse somebody who has, um, you know, recently been lost their home in New York City. So that person, their program is available. They're funded um, and they help uh, a person reconnect to their community. But those kinds of services are not available to new arrivals who have no connections to New York City and are not eligible for most of the public assistance programs that enable people to move. So that's why I think they're saying, you know, uh, the, the, they have different programmatic needs um, and different kinds of shelters. The, the the new arrivals are are you know looking to sort of establish themselves and then find a place to go. Most people are not interested in staying in New York City, um, but the um, people in you know New Yorkers who for whatever reason end up um, in in unstable housing, uh, you know they want to um, go back to the community that they're from. There are different tools that are available to them, and so. The caseworkers just have a have a different kind of training, a different set of skills. If you put somebody, um, you know, from from a regular DHS client on a migrant site, that the, the caseworkers there would have no idea how to help them, and vice versa. So I think that's why it makes sense from from the city's point of view to try to steer people to the services that are appropriate to their needs. But that doesn't mean um, that in an emergency, you know, DHS can't serve everybody. That's that's what it's for. Now, quickly, and I have another question, but just what you said, you know, most, you said most people don't want to stay in New York City. Um, I guess, is have they d described that? I mean, and why do they not want to stay in New York City? I, obviously, I, you could point to multiple reasons as to why, but um, what have you maybe heard from some of the asylees about why they don't want to stay here and maybe how, what their plan is to get out? Yeah, I mean, it's not that they affirmatively reject New York. I think it's just that they arrived at the border without any real expectation of where they're going. They were steered here, whether it was by Customs and Border Patrol or, you know, the governor of Texas or uh, a well-meaning mutual aid worker um, at the other end of the bus. But they've ended up in New York because they understand that that's, um, you know, because they that they didn't have any other choice. And now that they're here, you know, maybe that's the, a lot of people uh have not previously lived in a you know large urban environment that may not be what they're after the kind of work they're looking for um may not be available here they have uh friends family or, or they're aware that there's a community of people who speak their language and in, in some other part of the country they have ideas that they pick up about you know where where it is that they want to go and it's not they're, they're not focused on um you know i i want to be a new yorker i want to stay in new york um so you know, teasing out where where exactly do you want to go and how can we help you get there is has been um, part of the city's stated goal since the beginning of this. But the actual follow through was kind of limited to a, a very cursory interview at the beginning. And then they sort of left it up to you to follow up. Whereas if they would do more robust case management, as they claim that they're starting to do, then they would find that, you know, they could help people, they could they could connect them with whatever it is that they say they need, and then people would be moving out, and we wouldn't need to, you know, constantly be adding new space. We could we could reuse the space that the city has already set up. I don't expect the city or anyone to be tracking people, but do we have a sense now, more than a year into this, are there 
cities or or counties or states that asylees who've been in New York and then go to, I mean, where do they go next? If this is their second, right? If the border's the first, New York is the second, do we know where people are ending up or that information isn't available yet? I, I think it's uh, it's evolved over time and it and it's um, it can be very individualized. It can also um, be specific to a particular nationality. There were um, a lot of people who wanted to go to Canada for a while because they heard that, you know, there would be, it would be easier to work there. Um, there are you know, for instance, in, in Portland, Maine, there's a large Somali community. So, mm-hmm. you know, people know that and they want to go there. Many Spanish speak, speaking people want to go to Florida. They um, uh, or at least they did it till recently. Um, you know, we've heard that people have an expectation that there's work in Chicago. Um, people are um, connecting with family, friends, relatives around the country. Um, and they uh, are really just waiting for someone to tell them, yeah, you know, if you come here, you know, I, I can help you. But in order to do that, maybe their cousin says, listen, what you really need is a commercial driver's license. Can you get that in New York? And they can. So if New York would help them uh, in getting that driver's license, they would be on their way. I guess that goes back, you know, to my first question asking about Governor Hochul. Um, it's just both the governor and the mayor have declared states of emergency. Um, you know, Adams has used this to bring in these sort of not the doc to go and other organizations that are easier to get contracts for. Um, Hochul, I don't know what she's really done with her state of emergency, but yeah, you said the city can be helping with with CDLs and stuff like that. What else can the city and the state be doing within their, you know, the mayor complains about money and people not being able to work, but, but what else can they be doing right now, both the state and the city that maybe they aren't because of resources or time or whatever it is, and, and at least the most immediate needs for people? I mean, tomorrow, the governor could issue an executive order that says all of these local governments that have been uh, setting up these kind of racist NIMBY roadblocks to people coming to our community, you know, are vacated. You know, the governor sets the policy for the state of New York. Uh, The previous governor during COVID put out an executive order that said, you know, I'm in charge and these are the rules uh, and you don't have the ability, local governments, to make your own rules. Um, she could do that. The city would then be able to help people travel to other parts of the state where there are labor shortages, there's declining school enrollment, there are hotels that are willing to do business with the city um, that would lower the city's costs and also get people closer to communities that they might want to be in and where they might find some permanency. They could also speed up the program that they've already set up to move people. The, the state committed to relocate 1,250 households to other counties, and they want people who uh, are on a path to work authorization, uh, but they could help uh, people get that work authorization and move there. So far, I think they said the other day, there's 17 families identified out of that 1,250. I mean, that's just very slow. They could be providing more National Guard. They could be providing more buses to the city. They could be providing more sites. You know, the state of New York controls a lot of real estate. There's a lot of places that people could be staying right now. Yeah, I think the, the the underlying problem here, Katie, is that there's just no cooperation uh, that means anything between the city and the state. And the you know the the tenor of the letters really underscored that that the the state is framing this as a New York City problem that you know the governor is deigning to provide some support for. That entire framing is very counterproductive because we need the city and the state working very closely together on this to identify facilities 
um, state-owned facilities, not just in New York City, but throughout New York State that are uh, appropriate uh, places to be set up as, as temporary housing for the new arrivals. They need to work together to find staffing for those facilities. They need to work together to implement screening procedures as people come into the system to try to expedite uh, you know, the uh, uh, asylum application and temporary work application process. They need to work together to lobby the federal government for the changes we need uh, from them. Uh, but it needs to be a joint city-state uh, decompression and resettlement program. There, there's, you know, nearly sixty thousand people currently in the new uh, new arrivals currently in the New York City um, uh, shelter systems, but people are still pouring into the city at a fairly high rate, and you know the cold weather is coming fast. This problem is not going to get better; it's going to get worse. And unless we see all of the the governmental levels, city, state, and federal working together on this, we're going to have a terrible crisis once the winter comes. So for confused listeners, I guess, who are listening to this, uh, talking about the lack of coordination between the city and state, they may be watching on the five o'clock news, both Hochul and Adams saying, no, 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 we're good. We love each other. Um, can you explain what you think is is going on? I know it's some of its political theater of reading a letter and and you know the mayor is maybe not as quick to criticize maybe we're all, we compare everything to the Cuomo de Blasio relationship of course that was incredibly toxic it doesn't necessarily mean that this one is great just because it's not as bad but if you want to explain what your political take is um for people who might be confused uh, you know I I don't claim to understand <laughs> the politics of it <laughs> um we just want to see them following their, you know, legal and moral duties here to ensure that nobody is left out on the streets. Um, there's, you know, I, I wish there was less time spent figuring out how to play it and more time spent figuring out how to solve it. Um, you know, the political considerations are obviously very real. Um, it appears to me, I'm, I'm politically naive, but it appears to me that the governor is really being driven by the political concerns here. She doesn't want to own this issue. Um, here in New York City, uh, we have to own this issue because there are people here who need help. Um, the, the governor has apparently forgotten that she is also the governor of people who live in New York City. I think there's 8 million people here who notice that, and hopefully that will incentivize her a little bit to, to step in and, and take more responsibility. You think they're being tough in the courts because it it's harder to put a court excerpt on TV than it is a news clip saying everything's great. Refer to Josh on the court for legal <laughs> questions. <laughs> I'm just a lawyer. I can't uh, I can't uh, speculate on what their motivations are. I just know that you know we saw. Um, I think everybody has now seen this exchange of letters, um, which did not look like a, a cooperative, collaborative process in the way that Dave described. So obviously what's at the root of um, just the shelter crisis, you know, so many people in shelter beyond just the asylum seekers is the lack of affordable housing. Um, and I think the estimate from the city was they're spending about $400 a night for each family who's an asylum seeker. I know those numbers fluctuate when you're um, the non-asylum seekers in DHS and DHS and other shelters. So, I mean, what do you think the city could, and even the state could be doing with this money if there was a bigger push for permanent housing instead of shelters, which are usually run by 
for-profit organizer, you know, organizations, and that's that's not just an asylum seeker thing. But I don't know if you want to shift to, to housing and what more you think the city and state can be doing on that front. Well, well, first I want to say that's um, a an opposition, a dichotomy that uh, I think is faulty at its core. Um, it, it's never shelters or housing. Mm. Uh, we need both shelters and housing. There, there's just no way around that. Um, you know, when we get to the point that we don't need shelters because we have enough housing, I think we'll we'll all be happy that we're not spending billions of dollars on an emergency shelter system. But uh, we, you know, do we want New York City to look like Los Angeles with tens of thousands of people living in tents and shanties on the street? Uh, you know, no, nobody wants that. Clearly. Um, so yes, shelters are expensive, but we we can't let people sleep outdoors. Obviously, the underlying problem here is housing. People need a place to live. We have so many people in the shelter system to begin with because there's not adequate support uh, supportive and affordable housing uh, in New York City and throughout New York State. There is a lot that the city and the state can be doing right now, and we've been giving them very detailed lists of what they can be doing to try to get people into permanent housing. Um, there are so many administrative and bureaucratic roadblocks to utilizing the uh, city uh, rental vouchers. There are so many bureaucratic and administrative roadblocks for people uh, with uh, mental illness and other disabilities to accessing supportive housing. These are things that the city can be addressing. Um, there's uh, a, a state rental subsidy for people on public assistance, but for a single adult, that rent subsidy is $215 a month. For a mother with two kids, it's $400 a month. There's no way to rent uh, housing in New York City for that amount. We need to see the state raising the rental subsidy amounts to actually meet the uh, the cost of rent in New York City. So I'm glad you asked that question because, again, you know, there, there are whatever, about 110,000 people currently in these various shelter systems in the city now. And half of those are the new arrivals, but half of those are homeless New Yorkers who are there because of this lack of affordable housing. So we do need to see the city and state approaching this problem more holistically, not just looking at, you know, where do we find more, you know, stadiums and parking lots and hotels and empty buildings where we can put the new arrivals. But how do we get people out of the shelter system so that it's used for what it's designed for, which is emergencies? And this is an emergency. Yeah, this is not just like a big picture policy question. This is like a very low, 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 small picture <laughs> on the ground concern in terms of what we started talking about, because there are tens of thousands of, of New Yorkers sitting in shelters that uh, who, who could move out tomorrow, you know, again, if if the um, city would, for instance, fully staff the HRA office that writes checks um, when people find an apartment. We have people who have done everything right. They've connected to an apartment. They've signed the lease and they're waiting months to move out because no one will write the checks to the landlord. And then they, maybe they lose the apartment and then they have to start all over again. That's a shelter. You know, not only is the city wasting uh, taxpayer dollars on keeping that person in shelter all that time, but that that's also a, a unit that could have been used for a new arrival, so we wouldn't have had to add, you know, some of these crazy um, sites that they've been adding because they say the DHS is full. You know, they could uh, dramatically reduce the DHS shelter census by moving people out, and then they could use all that space for a, new arrivals, and and we wouldn't need to be, you know, um, 
uh, putting people in places that are uh, not really uh, suitable for shelter. So I want to talk, I guess, about the, just the overall right to shelter law, which is there's been this sort of whittling away of it from the Adams administration because their explanation is, you know, when this law, when this became a law, it was not um, designed for this influx of thousands of people on a daily basis coming in on buses. It seems to be why they've established the 60-day rule. A lot of the other things, that's why, you know, there are people in court Um do you think, and as lawyers, I mean, do you think there's a precedent to extend right to shelter statewide? And then I'll ask a follow-up about, I guess, what more can be done um, legally to protect right to shelter? Yeah, when people talk about the right to shelter, they're they're really talking about a number of different things. There's a there's a court case that established the principle that there everyone who needs a shelter bed should get one. Then there are a series of uh, other court agreements from other kinds of cases like protections for people with disabilities. There are state regulations about what a shelter should look like. There are New York City local laws uh, that, for instance, one of them says if a family with children arrives at the intake office by 10 p.m., they should get a shelter placement that night. So then we, what we've seen is that the administration has tried to um, deal with the emergency in ways that don't necessarily comply with all of those rules. But, you know, that has that's not something that's new. After Sandy, for instance, there were thousands of people who spent the night in high school gyms, uh, including families with children in in congregate settings. All of that would be illegal under the regular shelter system rules. But I think that the rules include the idea, the concept that in a real unanticipated emergency, the system has the ability to respond as quickly as it can. Um, with the idea that people will, who, who don't, you know, sort of quickly get out of placements like that will move into placements that are, uh, better, that are, that are consistent with the city's legal requirements. And that's what we've seen, although, you know, in the last year, although, you know, given the volume, some of the progress of people from, you know, non-compliant sites towards compliance sites has, has gotten slow. I think it's also, um, you know, the, the, the people have really misunderstood what's going on with these notices that are get, that the city has given out. The um, although they have not publicly uh, been willing to say at the end of the sixty days you get another shelter placement. Right now, that is a legal obligation that they have. This this is not a time limit on shelter. They are um, using a lot of rhetoric that is, I think, dangerous, and we're monitoring very closely how. These notices are communicated to people, what people on the ground actually say when they give you the notice, what's the conversation you're having with the uh, with the client. If you hear, you know, Dr. Long, Dr. Ted Long from H&H &H testifying about this in the city council, he made it sound like a very friendly conversation about, you know, how can we help you? And I'm sure that's his intention. But in practice, you know, people are getting the message, you have to leave, there's no more shelter for you. Um, that would be illegal. But um, if that person on day 61 has nowhere to go, they're still entitled to a bed. The city has to shelter them. There, there's no um, uh, uh, shortcut to that for them. There's no um, ability of the mayor to waive that requirement. And the, the right to shelter itself remains unchanged. What we've seen is this, you know, the city really pushing the envelope, and that's how we ended up in court. Just one quick follow-up before the other question I was going to ask. If, if There was a lot of confusion even reporting the 60-day, mainly because I think the messaging around it, we were like, so is it 
you get a 60-day notice if you've been for 60 days or longer. How many people does this? They couldn't provide this information, which is no surprise. Um, if you're saying, because of the way that this mandate is now, it's day 61, you have to be given some kind of shelter, some sort of bed. Why do you think the city did it? Did, did they did they establish this, announce this rule and this change to just make it so confusing for people that maybe they'll get so fed up? It sort of restarts the clock. What is your take on, on why they did it? I think there's a couple things going on. Number one, the mayor is trying to send a message uh, in all of his communications to people who have not yet come to New York City that maybe they don't want to come to New York City. And I think that what we saw on the sidewalks around the Roosevelt Hotel was consistent with that. Uh, he's also trying to send a message to the governor and to Joe Biden to say, we need help. You know, things that you have taken for granted in the past um, are extremely difficult for us, uh, the city of New York, to manage entirely on our own. With regard to the messaging to the actual clients who are here and in those sites, I think this is their version of what we have been telling them since the beginning, which is you have to do real case management. You have to meet with people and ask them, what do they need? So their idea of that was, let's give people a really scary notice and frighten them into coming in. We don't think that's the right approach, but it is consistent with the idea that you need to meet with people and talk to them about what they need. So Dr. Long testified that as upon getting these notices, people do come in and they see their caseworker and they have a conversation. And that's where they can, you know, the city can learn what is it that the person is waiting for? What uh, do they need help with? What can get them on their feet and and on their way. So there is, uh, in theory, a practical um, and useful uh, uh, benefit to giving people a notice that starts a conversation. Um, but again, if they're going to terrorize people and and persuade, try to persuade them that they have to leave, uh, then you know that would raise significant legal concerns about uh, interfering with people's right to shelter. Is there any proof that the sixty day approach or whatever is actually clearing beds and space, or is it too soon to figure that out? Uh, you know, the, the city reports every week the number of people who have arrived. They have not been so great about reporting the number of people who left. Um, and we have seen uh, that uh, upon getting those notices consistent with the testimony of city officials in the council and at their briefings, um, a lot of people did leave. I mean, you know, in landlord, anyone who's been who's represented tenants in New York knows that a lot of people panic when they get a notice from their landlord. Even if it's the first notice, it's not an eviction notice. It's a notice that landlords are required to give that says, you know, I will sue you if you don't pay your rent or stop doing the thing that I object to you doing. And people get that notice and either they think they've been evicted or they just panic or they don't want to deal with it and they leave. Um, and I, I think there is a certain amount of that has happened, that people got a notice, maybe they didn't understand it, maybe it wasn't in a language that they read because the city couldn't possibly translate every notice into every language um, that people speak who are in the in these sites. We have people from all over the world here um, and they haven't, um, you know, the, the, the resources available for um, communicating with people have been inadequate. So there's plenty of misunderstanding and that is something, again, that we're, that we're pretty concerned about. Um, but there were also, according to Dr. Long's testimony, there were people who, you know, said, oh, well, the, now that you mentioned it, actually, yeah, I was just about to leave because I had this plan and now I have a place to go. And um, uh, thanks for the help. Um, I don't doubt that there are some number of people in that situation, but we, those are not the people we're concerned about. We're worried about the people who didn't understand what was going on and left in a, in a panic. 
And what, well, I'll say it's my final question, but it might not end up being my final question. Um, what are the legal next steps? You know, what is your legal threshold as the mayor continues to change what is a foundational right to shelter here in New York City? Um, you know, what is your threshold for taking next legal steps? What could those be? And I mean, I guess some people are wondering why there hasn't been more legal action Um as the mayor's made these announcements, but if you just want to talk, I'm not just, you said you're just a lawyer. I'm far from a lawyer. So explain for me and other people. I can give you a technical answer, which is that there's been a lot going on, uh, maybe not all of it public, um, to ensure that the right to shelter remains in place. The exchange that we saw was part of requests that were made by both the plaintiffs, uh, you know, in other words, uh, us, um, and the city um, to the court because there is a 1984 order in the right to shelter case that requires that you get permission from the judge before you bring a motion. Um, so both sides have now asked the judge for that. Uh, the judge is trying to, as judges do, see where there are issues that can be resolved and limit the scope of what actually has to be litigated. And we're very hopeful that between the three sides of this case, um, the, the plaintiffs, the city and the state, we can reach at, uh, agreements on as much as possible and maybe everything um, and continue to try to resolve issues so that the city can meet people's needs as they arrive uh, and do that in a way that's safe and consistent with their legal obligations. Um, it may come to pass that uh, the, the judge says, you're right, you know, we can't there, the, there are some issues here that we just cannot resolve, and so we're going to have to battle them out. Um, so we're we're hopeful that that won't happen, and that you know we see the um, uh, that the the governor is at least starting to take seriously that she has some obligations here, um, and uh, we're hopeful that the federal government, of course, will um, step in and do the right thing and and resolve this for uh, some, if not everybody, everybody who's who's waiting, but. Um, if, if, if in the end, uh, there's no other way out of the box, then we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that there is a right to shelter that is enforced in New York. It doesn't mean anything if, if we don't enforce it. Dave, did you want to add anything else, especially for the non-legal scholars among us? <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I think, it, uh, Josh encapsulated it very well. Uh, and I just do want to remind everybody that the legal right to shelter does derive from the New York State Constitution, from Article 17, that says that um, the aid, care, and support of the needy are public concerns that um, shall be addressed by the state um, and its political subdivisions. Um, it's not that that may be uh, addressed by the state, um, shall be. And so we we hope to see the governor as well, uh, step up to ensure that all those who are in need of shelter are provided with what they need. And can we expect any more extreme legal action? Um, or you're just sort of maybe you're trying to wait to see what happens or I don't know what we can look in the weeks and months ahead. It's it's up to the judge. Um, that's that's the way the case works. This particular case has an order that says the judge gets to decide who can ask for what when. Um, so we are making our case to the judge. Um, you know, the city and the state can make their case, I guess. But as Dave just said, 
the law is pretty clear. The state constitution says that people have uh, a right to shelter, and that applies statewide. It, you know, the state constitution is not limited to New York City. The city and the state are both parties to the consent decree. They both have obligations, and uh, if they, um, I think, if they don't live up to them, um, then you know, it's pretty clear to the judge that there's no, we have no choice but to to force um, them to to comply. F A Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of the city, nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. How? Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by readers and listeners like you. Bam! Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popular.com. Our hosts this episode were me, Harry Siegel, a little bit, also the executive producer, mostly the awesome Katie Onan. Our engineer is the incredible Adam Kamara. A special thank you to our guest, Dave Giffen of the Coalition for the Homeless and Josh Goldstein of Legal Aid. And thank you, listener, for joining us, making it this far. Be kind, be cool, too hip to be mad. We'll be back soon with more. Goodbye. What do you think and feel when you hear the Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter? Ha! Um... Well, you know, that uh, that song, as I understand it, is about a storm coming. And um, as I had said earlier, I, I do feel that there's a, a storm coming. Um, and uh, yeah, no, you know, it, it's a good metaphor. Um, things are going to get tough as the winter comes and everybody needs shelter. No, nobody can be left outside in the streets. And uh, I, I, I'm very happy to have that song cranking on my headphones as we're out there monitoring the shelter system. So thanks. Thanks for bringing that up.